Welcome to Strategy International, a podcast produced by PodMTL that brings you insightful conversations with experts from all over the world on topics related to international relations and policy, security, defense, environment, and much more. And now, your host, George Santrizos. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Strategy International podcast. This is the podcast produced for Strategy International, a global think tank and consulting firm that brings together great minds to discuss, analyze, and collaborate on issues of global interest, such as uh, international politics and policy, uh, strategy and defense, the economy, the environment, and much, much more. I strongly encourage you to visit strategyinternational.org, where you will see uh, and learn all the information uh, about the beautiful things that are happening over Strategy International, uh, as well as the back catalog of all these beautiful productions. We have a very special episode today, given the circumstances around the horrendous acts that took place in Israel over the last week. Um, and, uh, and, and for that reason, we have with us today the CEO of Strategy International, Dr. Marios Eftimiopoulos. And we also have Professor Kobe Michael, he is a senior research consultant on military and strategic affairs over at Strategy International, and he's also a senior researcher at the INSS, and he's the editor-in-chief of Strategic Assessment. He's also a professor at the International Center for Policing and Security University in South Wales in the UK. Among his primary research interests are conflict resolution strategy, national security, civil and military relations, peacekeeping and state building operations, and of course, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He has also served as Deputy Director General and the head of the Palestinian desk at the Ministry for Strategic Affairs. Very happy to have you both on the podcast. We figured that it was uh, crucial to have this discussion to inform the viewers and the listeners about what is happening, to give them a little perspective and also uh, understanding of what is to come, because it appears that this conflict, uh, aside from the fact that it's a very serious one, seems to be one that will leave uh, considerable consequences in the, in the region. Uh, so thank you both for being here. Thank you. I think, um, I think what we should do uh, for the benefit of the people listening or watching, maybe we should start a little bit um, to put everything in context, what has happened and what we know so far. Um, and also, Kobe, perhaps we can um, explain a little bit, you know, what is Hamas and a little bit of the history. We don't have to go all the way back. We don't want to we don't want to make this too content heavy because there's a lot of important things to discuss. But just bring everyone up to speed on what we know so far and um, what exactly or who exactly is uh, is Hamas. Yes, hello. Um, Hamas uh, is uh, the, um, the Islamic resistance movement that was established in 1987 in the Gaza Strip. And um, since then, it became to be uh, not only a religious and a social and political movement, but also a terror organization. And I would say that since 2007, when they actually um, gained full control over the Gaza Strip after a coup d'etat against the Palestinian Authority. Um, they also um, um, uh, have been developed as, um, as sovereigns, as rulers of the Gaza Strip. They rule territory and population on the one hand, and they uh, have succeeded in establishing a, a terror military, um, which uh, at First was known as uh, El Qassam Brigade, but now we are talking about um, 
uh, a very uh, well-established and occupied um, uh, security establishment uh, that contains something around 20,000 uh, fighters. And in addition to their uh, civil police and some other apparatuses, they have uh, something around uh, 30,000 um, uh, personnel. Um, they have um, a variety of uh, forces and uh, military capacities, be it um, ground forces, aerial forces, uh, maritime forces, I mean commando, and they have their special unit, the Nukba, which was uh, actually in charge of, uh, of the last operation uh, in, in last uh, Saturday. Um, the Hamas also has... Um, uh, very, uh, I would say, uh, well-established uh, technological capacities, uh, including cyber. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, Hamas has established very good relations with Iran. And uh, I would say that uh, in the last decade or so, Hamas even became to be an Iranian proxy, like other Iranian proxies, which are known in the broader Middle East, but in a different manner. Um, but it is still an Iranian proxy where uh, there is a very close cooperation between Iran and Hamas. Uh, um, Hamas uh, is assisted by Iran in trainings, in technology, in weapons, uh, money, and of course, political support. We have to remember that the, the leadership of Hamas is divided ben, between the, the Gazan uh, leadership uh, led by Yehe Sinwar and the others located in the Gaza Strip and the external uh, leadership, which is led by uh, Ismail Haniyeh, the head of the political bureau, his deputy Saleh al aruri who lives in, uh, in uh, Beirut, in the Dahia, under the wings of uh, Nasrallah, uh, another Iranian proxy. And he uh, uh, visits uh, a lot Iran, Damascus, and uh, he has very close relations and cooperation with the Iranians. Um, in the, the last, uh, since uh, they occupied the Gaza Strip, uh, Hamas, we are talking about a very uh, deep split or division in the Palestinian arena between the Palestinian Authority, which is led by Fatah, and between the Hamas. This division is not only a geographical division between the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. This is a political division. This is a religious, a religious division, a cultural division, and actually all the all the efforts for reconciliation since, since 2007 till today between Hamas and Fatah failed. And there are, there are good reasons why they failed, because there is a zero-sum game between Hamas and Fatah. And Hamas perceives itself as the alternative, the replacement for Fatah in the PA and in the PLO. They intend eventually to control the entire Palestinian system. Okay, this is the background and we have to understand that we are talking about a very uh, religious, extreme, radical uh, uh, ideology, ideology and movement. And we are talking about Hamas that uh, has never recognized uh, in the Oslo process. They uh, do not recognize in the right of the state of Israel to exist in mm -hmm. any borders here in the region. And uh, according to their convention, Israel should be whipped from the map, and I assume that this is something that reminds at least some of our in some of our viewers um, a very similar slogan that is heard from another side. I mean, from Iran with regard to Israel.
And uh, and uh, eventually, uh, Hamas is the stronger player in the Palestinian arena in the last years. It challenges the Palestinian Authority and its stability. It undermines, together with Hezbollah and Iran, uh, the stability of the Palestinian Authority. And eventually, we are talking about Hamas as a component of the resistance axis uh, on the one hand, uh, that he uh, that uh, uh, is in a very um, bloody uh, struggle with the other axis, which is the Sunni Arab pragmatic pragmatic axis led by Saudi Arabia and Egypt. They are in a collision between of them for hegemony and influence in the broader Middle East, where the Palestinian arena is another arena among other conflict arenas in the Middle East. And in this regard, Hamas plays or serves the interests of Iran and vice versa, Iran serves the interest of Hamas. This is the point of departure, okay, to the to the last event. And from here, we have to continue and to discuss what actually has happened. From what we know and from the reports that have come out, of course, I don't think there's anyone that hasn't seen those horrible images that came out of Israel last Saturday where uh, these terrorist uh, militants broke through the border and they literally massacred thousands of people, murdering families, women, kidnapping children, um, and scenes that no one could have ever imagined. Uh, at the time that we're recording this, I believe the deaths have surpassed uh, 1,200, uh, and there are hundreds of people that are still, um, uh, that, that have been taken to, uh, to Gaza, that have been kidnapped to Gaza. Um, you know, the, the, the big question that has come up and, and that everyone uh, has discussed and has sort of been masked because of the immediate repercussion uh, of the, the declaration of war that came from Israel is how can something like this happen? Uh, there must have been some sort of intelligence or political failure somewhere to think that the most heavily guarded border uh, probably in the world, um, with one of the best intelligence services in the world, completely missed this. Is there any information on this, or did everyone just get caught by surprise? This is, uh, George, the $1 million question that every Israeli asks himself uh, since uh, Saturday. There is no need to make uh, any camouflage or to rephrase things in uh, some uh, some uh, soft words. We are talking about a failure. We are talking about the catastrophic failure of the Israeli intelligence. And this is a failure in two levels. In the strategic level, when the Israeli intelligence failed to provide uh, the early warning about what is going to happen there, which means that we mess, we, we had a mis, um, misunderstanding with regard to to the system of Hamas and the intentions of Hamas and the preparations of Hamas. Um, and uh, the second uh, the second level of uh, failure is the operational level, as you say, the the um, the, the most secure border maybe in the world a very sophisticated barrier, obstacle, um, monitored and controlled, and uh, there was a collapse there. I mean, what, what actually has happened? Where is the backup? How it comes that Hamas uh, succeeded in reaching till, do the, till 
to the to the fence and and destroying all the monitoring systems and and breaching the the the, the fence uh, and and entering in. Um, I'm not sure that we have the answers. It will take time till we will have the answers. I I have no doubt that this uh, will be investigated in the day after the war, and it will be investigated very strictly. And um, I think that uh, there will be um, some some people uh, in very high positions that will uh, prefer to resign even before we will have the the outcomes of the investigation. Uh, so can I can is, I just ask you? Yes. Yes. Go ahead, Mario. No, no, no. Let let Kobe finish. Oh. I'm sorry, Kobe. So uh, this is a this is a huge failure, and um, I think that uh, we have to understand on the other hand. That such an operation that uh, Hamas conducted very successfully, we have to admit, okay, uh, the, the, the price tag that Israel paid is uh, cannot be tolerated. It's a uh, it's a disaster. But uh, they 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 succeeded in uh, in in their operation. And uh, but but we have to understand that such an operation is an operation that uh, that compels two well-established and sophisticated envelopes, the technical, the technological envelope and the intelligence envelope. Hamas is not capable to provide these envelopes. These envelopes are envelopes that were provided by a state and the state with capabilities. The only state, state with such state. capabilities is Iran, okay, that will provide or will be willing to provide Hamas with such capabilities. Uh, it means that uh, the conclusion is that uh, that Iran was deeply involved in this operation, and I will not be surprised that uh, they were not, they they were involved in this operation not only by the supply uh, of of the the technology and the intelligence. They were deeply involved involved in the planning and in the training. Okay, um, but but at least I personally have no doubt that uh, the Iranians are deeply involved here. And uh, I think that this is part of a bigger uh, bigger plan that the Iranians have and something that uh, actually uh, meets the, the interests of Hamas as well. And later on, we will talk about the strategy of Hamas, the strategy of Iran, and the common, um, the common organizing rationale between these two strategies. Mario, Mario you had something to, to, to add? Um. I want to I want to catch up a bit the discussion on, on what Kobe said, which is very important that, you know, the that competition between Saudi Arabia and Iran uh, with regards to 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 the area of uh, future Palestine, let us say um, things were moving in the right direction with regards to not only the recognition of Saudi Arabia's uh, relations with Israel and vice versa but also the discussion of a two-state solution on a possibility with joint development, joint investment, joint stability, peace. Now, it is not the first time that Hamas is trying to put things into danger and has put so. Uh, for me, the events are quite clear, quite more um, clear to my knowledge, to my understanding, if you want, to my logic. They have committed a crime and they have committed a terrorist crime or terrorism. And we have to clarify here that the target is Hamas. It's Hamas itself. It's organization, military, political, whoever is associated with whatever relates with Hamas. These are the ones we blame. Now, 
the unfortunate thing, and people have not thought about it, are the logistics behind that terrorist act. And at some point, Kobe said that in the end. And the logistics of a terrorist act is really important. Where does the money come from, first of all? Who does the training? Who does the, you know, the the who infiltrates such a, such weapons? Who are the masterminds behind it, right? And I'm pretty sure, because I've said that also on, on, on public TV, that by the time, at least, let's say these 1,500 1, people that are already, um, uh, uh, they're dead, uh, which come from Hamas, uh, they will be identified. And considering that Israel knows quite well who is who in, the, in their own region, including Gaza, uh, then I am pretty sure that we'll identify that not everybody may be Palestinian in this case. And that will complicate things even more. Now, having said that, um, we need to be aware that this is quite serious as an event. Um, as Kobe said earlier, this is not traditional. This is not normal. And we have to condemn it quite clear quite clearly globally that we cannot uh we cannot accept such atrocities that happen because we're talking about that very specific moment and event in time and the irony about this is that there was a music festival dedicated to peace between the two and this is the result that Hamas wants to have if Hamas wants to have such a result with regards to peace and it does these atrocities the way in the methodology that they have committed. What happens when they want to go really into you know war-like situations? If you know this is their way of liber freeing Palestine, as their political leadership said, they're not freeing Palestine. They're not freeing Palestine whatsoever. So it's not an issue of land. It is not an issue of real estate. It's not an issue of getting back to to anyone. You're killing people and you just killed innocent people. And the reaction of Israel, to the extent legal and political, it is of no coincidence that Netanyahu called immediately a war and therefore the situation that allows into this, that the escalation in the internal affairs of Israel gives a permission to shoot and kill rather than arrest because they don't know, they, they could not have known who and how many people infiltrated and at the same time, they gotta they gotta they gotta think their security architecture in the after-war situation, in the case that you have any cells of or individuals that may have hidden suddenly in the middle of nowhere, uh, and just you know keep quiet until the next possible event comes along. So we have to be very cautious and we have to be very clear. There are two different things, at, at least for me, and I want to make to, to put this out uh so we identify because Hamas came as a result of extremism and the 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 pure reason why people were concerned what happened to Mahmoud Abbas when he loses power after the elections that so-called happened would have been exactly what happens when Hamas gets some sort of power in their hand which is also political it's of no coincidence that Anthony Blinken will be meeting Abbas and not everybody else because he wants to make sure he wants to understand how others think because things are not going to become better. They're going to come uglier. And we also have to commit, we also have to commit that we got to give 
whatever support and help needs in Israel needs in order to a safeguard its own people, at least from from my experience, what I've seen in Israel, I understand that security and the term, the terminology, the positioning, and the the, the likelihood and the livelihood goes all around the practicality of how to secure the everyday life, how to secure the state, how to secure the community, how to secure the nation, goes on and on. And don't forget also the importance of Israel in both religious and political and trade and geographical perspectives uh, into into that element. The worst case scenario, however, and that is that we will see in the next probably weeks, probably months, is the fact that they made it worse because Iran could not accept the possibility that Saudi Arabia, for example, would have been on the same table of negotiation with Israel on securing the solution to the Palestinian issue and probably giving the opportunity to to Palestinians to have uh, probably a state of their own. I don't know what, what what's on the back, but definitely things were going that way. Uh, the Abrahamic Accord was just the beginning, and we we've said that from the you know earlier on that the Abrahamic Accord is just the beginning. The unfortunate thing is that it's now sentimental. The 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 the, the war is sentiment, and it's extreme has become extreme. On on only one side, however, you can actually say, why did you become extreme? Because I was just having a festival, a peace festival, not just a festival, a peace festival. And then you went in the very morning and you shot them dead. So it it doesn't go more clear than this, that you cannot, we cannot tolerate even even talking with these people. They they shouldn't even be in in, in any political corridor or even... um, even uh, like uh, even making in the media. I mean, I cannot even I cannot even think of any leader talking about Hamas or any opposition leader or you know party leader in local or national governments or whatever this is talking about even Hamas at this point. Uh, they they should end it. Yeah. Um, the, sorry about that. No, no, it's fine. And uh, you know, and before we move on to the repercussions, because there will be probably many, it's important to highlight here that the message. Uh, and the symbolism behind this uh, this attack could not have been clearer uh, from that side. And one is left to wonder, obviously this attack is very much different from the previous ones that we've seen. Uh, and we discussed this a little bit before we, we, we started recording. Why launch this attack knowing fully well of the consequences and the repercussions that would follow? It seems as though this was a preemptive move uh, in knowledge of what is to come. So why even do it if you know that what will follow will be destructive in the sense that they've never seen before? Uh, Kobe. Yes, uh, this is another $1 million question. Uh, I personally, and uh, I think that many others as well, are troubled with this question since uh, Saturday. How it comes that uh, Hamas was willing to sacrifice so much or to do or to launch such an operation when they know what is the what what would be the price tag of such an operation they are risking their um, their very existence and uh, i think that i have a, a sort of a thesis or at least uh, some some answers uh, although i don't have a very uh, very hard evidence uh, yet but i think that uh, it's a very reasonable thesis um First of all, I think that Hamas got a sort of a guarantee or an insurance policy from a player that can provide Hamas with 
an insurance policy. And the only player that can provide Hamas with, with, with a meaningful insurance policy is, of course, Iran. And the insurance policy says that um, if uh, you will launch the attack and um, uh, the Israeli... Uh, the Israeli response will be too aggressive or the Israeli retaliation will danger your existence, we will be in the picture. We will open another front. We will uh, do something that uh, will prevent Israel from uh, from uh, uh, causing a, a too severe damage to you. This is on, on the one hand. On the other hand, I think that uh, Hamas truly believed that uh, after such an operation, when uh, the the consequences will be so so horrible, this will be uh, not only a shock for Israel. This will be understood or perceived by the Palestinians in the other front that Hamas prepared, uh, at least in the last three years, uh, and I will mention them in a minute. Um, the consequences um, will um, will evoke these uh, these fronts and they will, will bring them to open uh, to open a war against Israel and then Israel will be surrounded from all the fronts together and this will open the external fronts as well and this will be the end of the state of Israel. We have to understand they believe that this is a sign from God. Okay, in their belief, in their religious belief. Um, now, uh, Hamas for the last three years had a very clear strategy. And unfortunately, I think that Israel provided Hamas with a sort of a comfort zone and too many degrees of freedom of action during these years. Um, and the strategy of Hamas was a dual strategy based on the idea that on the one hand, they will keep calm in the Gaza Strip they will enable the reconstruction of the Gaza Strip, the improvement of the economy, of the humanitarian situation. All of those will be an umbrella, okay, for um, uh, reconstructing uh, and recovering their military capacities that were damaged in, in the previous uh, uh, operations by the Israeli attacks. And they will add additional military capacities, and they will prepare themselves to the D-Day that came on last Saturday, okay? And um, they um, kept calm in the Gaza Strip by uh, actually um, uh, getting some, some economic benefits from Israel, from the Qatarians, from the Egyptians. But in the very same time, they ignited and fueled the terror campaign in the West Bank and in East Jerusalem. And Saleh al-Aruri from Beirut, Yahya Sinwar Muhammad Dev from the Gaza Strip, by guidance from the Gaza Strip and from abroad, by weapons, by, by money, okay, uh, by directives, they actually fueled all the terror campaign in the West Bank, and they kept Israel occupied with the terror war in the West Bank. In the very same time, they worked very hard in order to establish to establish three additional fronts, and these are East Jerusalem, the, the domestic arena in Israel, I mean the Arab citizens of Israel, and South Lebanon with full coordination and cooperation with Hezbollah. This is the multi-front 
the multi-front yeah. rationale, okay, of Hamas. It's this this rationale actually meets the multi-front rationale of Iran, okay? Iran has a multi-front uh, 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 rationale as well, where actually it established its capacities, its military capacities, by, capacities by using its proxies in five arenas, five fronts. In Lebanon by Hezbollah, in Syria by Hezbollah and Shiite militias, which are uh, guided by Iran, in West Iraq by the local Iraqi Shiite militia, and in Yemen by the Houthis, and the Palestinian arena, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hamas. Now, the Palestinian arena as an active arena, it's something that serves the Iranian rationale and the Iranian, I would say, strategic interests, because the the Iranian idea is to keep Israel occupied all the time in a sort of an attrition war, be it in the Palestinian arena, South Lebanon, Syria, every time from a different arena. And when the Palestinian arena in the last year and a half became to be a, a big terror campaign or a big terror arena, it's something that serves the Iranian interest because the IDF is very occupied here. The terror attacks against the Israelis, it's something that weakened the Israeli society, it weakened the Israeli economy, it creates tensions between the society and the political echelon, and so on and so forth. And this is something that serves the Iranian interest. But in the very same time, Iran worked very hard in order to prepare the other fronts. And the idea was or is to be able to operate simultaneously all the fronts against Israel in order to collapse it. Mm -hmm. And here we see the strategic encounter between Hamas with its logic of uh, multi-front and uh, uh, the Iranian logic of multi-fronts, okay? And uh, Iran serves the interest of Hamas and Hamas serves the interest of Iran. Now, going back to your $1 million question, I believe that the Hamas believed that uh, after the, the, the operation, all the fronts that they prepared, okay, that I have mentioned, uh, will will come and will actually go and will open the war against Israel. And they were relying mainly on the domestic arena, on the Arab citizens of Israel, knowing how difficult and complicated will be um, uh, the, the chaotic situation inside the mixed cities in Israel, inside the, the streets of Israel, when Israel is occupied with the other fronts as well. Right. And they believed that once all of these five fronts that they prepared will be opened, then the external fronts that Iran prepared will join the party. And this will be the end of Israel. I'm almost sure almost 100% that this what was in the mind of Hamas when they had this operation. They were sure, Hamas was sure that they will be able to open all the fronts they prepared and then the external fronts will be opened together with these internal fronts. What we see uh, that they haven't succeeded. Can I can I, I can I add a, a few things? I mean, I totally agree with this. And the, the, the reason why they keep Israel busy as a war of attrition, as Kobe said it in this case, is because there are a lot of uh, a lot of Jewish people, different nationality 
included also in Africa and Yemen and so on and so forth. So it became quite evident that part of their uh, wars that they committed with the Houthis, for example, uh, in, in Yemen and so on and so forth, they also had targets uh, being those which were not of their uh, religious beliefs, let, let me say. So it became evident that uh, withdrawing the Yemeni uh, Jewish or the African Jewish and so on and so forth became a target for them. So it is really important to remember that uh, in in terms of, of, of Iran's attempts is I think that they have a target both inside and also outside. So whoever is of potential Israeli uh, nationality, which is Jewish, uh, they target them. They And they can target them in different places and different locations and also different uh, perspectives uh, with different methodologies and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and that is uh, a point of concern. The, the second one has very much to do so with their reaction in a post-war case where that war of attrition will become a more uh, more like a lone, lone wolves uh, case where they will go and try and attempt to make either massive assassinations by, I don't know, exploding in a in a place where you have like worship places or wherever you, you may have uh, Israelites um, being as, you know, let's say tourists uh, in, in an area. So they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't care who's, who's, you know, who's Jewish, who's not, they would care who comes from Israel by passport. So, for example, if somebody is on a boat, we can we can put a bomb on that boat, for example, and and, and make a damage. The reason behind it is what exactly Kobe said, that basically Hamas's moments are very few remain. What happens when you cut the big head and small smaller heads uh, come along and they have no no guidance, whatever? Or whatsoever, but the only thing that they have is that uh, extremism that they go with. So we we also have to be careful on on this front. But again, it it needs to be made clear um, one thing that Iran, uh, sorry, Hamas doesn't have only Iran. It has others now, and it is evident on their capabilities and their capacities, which increased and in the attempt to have interoperable forces doing exactly what they've tried to come, uh, what they've tried to do to, do to Israel. And this is the, the, the gate, if you want, where security is, will have to be re-examined globally when somebody's and when somebody's asking the question, how do these terrorists commit these atrocities? And the answer is they used to do this and that. Now they are much, much more organized. And the basic question is, if you want to have a war, whatever war this is, how do you conduct it when you have finances, when you have training and when you have the human capacity? Uh, and that this is what is proven. And I'm pretty sure that they've examined the cases of ISIS. They examined the case on how to counter fight ISIS, how to counterfight the Taliban and so on and so forth. It is of no coincidence to, towards not only what Kobe said, but during the first day, and I think that that were, was lost somewhere in the global media, that some of the Taliban said, open a passage so we can go fight. Some Houthis said the same thing. And some ISIS remaining cells also said that. 
And that has to be also a point of concern because that really, really, really shows who is on the back. And it is not only Iran. It only has to be proven somehow because that will alter also the methodology of alliances and the methodology of our, of our security architectural design and the way that we comprehend who's a true friend and who's not in the sense of you promise one thing and then you deliver else. And in this case, I'm showcasing Erdogan, where if you remember, he met with the leader of the Hamas and they put their hands up and then they met another time and so on and so forth. This cannot be accepted anymore. So he has to somehow denounce Hamas. He did not denounce Hamas. He tried to mix things between the Palestinian case and Hamas. They never, they never, they never said that Hamas, what Hamas is illegitimate, is a crime, it's a terrorist element. We we gotta be very clear above all else before we even go to the discussion of who what is the new security architecture and how do we define it and how do we counter whatever enemy this may be. Uh, I want to bounce right off that, uh, what you just said, because the regional geopolitics right now have been shaken and there may be some uh, important movement happening uh, in the region. Uh, we did mention Iran. We mentioned Lebanon, where uh, where Hezbollah is conducting its own uh, front over there. Um, you mentioned uh, Turkey as well, which is... I can assume an important NATO ally, and whereas the entire Western world and I, uh, definitely all other NATO allies have denounced these attacks, you have Turkey almost sitting uh, single-handedly on its own, supporting uh, the 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 cause and the and the. And not only they supported, they threatened the U.S. forces for not entering the 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 the, the, the for, for not approaching for, the waters. Even, even thinking to enter the support of Israel. I mean, and, and any student of mine would know that the best ally of Israel right now is the United States for a lot of reasons that we're not going to explore. But I mean, if you go out on public new on public media and you say whoever will attempt, I will exterminate. I mean, seriously, we got to put a red line into into such policies. I mean, decide what sort of what sort of relationship you want to have with Israel, decide what sort of relationship you want to have with Greece or Cyprus or even whatever surrounding countries you want to have, because it seems that you're building on an army. And you did this by moving by moving uh, troops from Syria to Libya to fight for your cause, whatever this cause is, from Libya to Achchar to Nagorno-Karabakh. And you're now trying and attempting to hire even more people by playing the sentiment card. And the sentiment card of those Palestinians is not really clear because they also understand that something's really, really, really wrong with this Hamas uh, point of view. I mean, yeah. we gotta be we, we gotta be very firm even on Erdogan, and it, it is unfortunate because he's a NATO ally because we share information with the NATO allies. Mm -hmm. So, what's gonna happen now regionally? We mentioned all these players that have their uh, their pieces on the on, on the game board, uh, and you also were right to mention the, the the relationship with Saudi Arabia that started to show some promise uh, with respect to the Abraham Accords. What happens to all this structure? Is it caving down is it disappearing uh or is there in some way shape or form um uh, uh, some some leadership that is going to come out of another arab nation to sort of try and keep some sort of balance uh in this whole affair notably i'm thinking about saudi arabia um 
You're addressing the question to me. Yes, go ahead. Sure. Okay. Um, I think that um, the the regional architecture uh, is uh, still on place. Uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, in doing, in shaping. The 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 big idea of uh, the American administration was actually um, to build here a new regional architecture that will be based on the normalization process with Saudi Arabia. Uh, and will be based on the special relations, uh, um, the alliance that will be between the United States and uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, where Israel is a very crucial component of this, uh, this regional architecture. And all of this regional architecture um, was supposed to be, I would say, a sort of uh, a big regional alliance which is supported by the Americans and uh, serves the American interests here in the region vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Russian and the Chinese interests and vis-a-vis -vis Iran. Uh, and therefore, I think that uh, this is exactly the way that we have to understand the, uh, first of all, the speech of President Biden and then uh, the, the presence of, uh, of, uh, of the American uh, uh, Gerald Ford uh, carrier here in the in the Mediterranean, because uh, because President Biden understands pretty well that uh, that the current war with Hamas is not uh, an Israeli-Palestinian issue. It's not a war between Israel and Hamas only. We are talking here about a clash of civilizations. We are talking here about the clash between the free West uh, world and civilization and the tyrannic world which is led by Iran, cooperates with China, with Russia, and with all the other radicals, extremists, fundamentalists, uh, Islamists here in the in the region. And, uh, and uh, it is very crucial, very important for, for America, for President Biden, for the American administration and the American interests that, that uh, the, the, the regional architecture, that the the camp or the axis, which is supported by the Americans, okay, or represented by the Americans, will be with the upper hand. At the end of the day, this axis must be with the upper hand. Otherwise, the consequences will be much beyond the Middle East, much beyond the Middle East. And this is, I think, the way that President Biden is thinking, that controlling now the war and controlling now the crisis here in the Middle East, understanding that the, the war between Israel and Hamas is much broader, okay, than what it looks, but controlling this crisis here and, uh, and uh, providing the support to Israel and to the other American allies uh, uh, here in the region, because the, the, the assistance which is provided by, by the Americans to Israel is a signal to the other American allies as well. I mean, this is a signal to the Saudis, to the Egyptians, to the Arab Emirates, and to the other American allies here in the region. Here we are. We are here. We intend to be here. And if there will be a need, we will participate actively against those who seek to destabilize uh, security here. And uh, I think that uh, President Biden understands pretty well that this war should be contained and controlled here and should be ended with very cut and clear results. And the, uphand, the upper hand should be the, the, the hand of Israel and the American camp and the American axis 
here in the region. This is something which is very crucial in this regard, and I think that we have to understand it pretty well. I want to talk. Add- yeah, go ahead, Mario. Yeah. I want to. I want to add something into this, which is very important. The United Nations Security Council could not manage into a conclusion. Guess why? Because of the Russians. Now the Russians play their own pivotal role into into this this game, of course, because of their presence in Syria or the war in Ukraine, or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But what seems very clear is that those alliances are now being reshaped, and it is very clear. I mean, Israel should should do its own thinking about who's actually a friend or a foe, uh, really, like very bluntly. Uh, who who wants to to be a friend of Israel right now? At least with the with the great powers, but the great powers themselves. I mean, Vladimir Putin accused Joe Biden. I mean, he he went like he left the Palestinian issue. He left Israel and he went exactly on the on the same thing. I mean, the the big powers are fighting big powers. The smaller powers are fighting the small powers. The even smaller powers fight the small powers. And the very main essence of this event, which is a terrorist act. Which again, we that we lost the discussion into into this political uh, agenda. It's a terrorist act. That's a nine eleven of Israel. I mean, how can I explain it in in a different way? And and instead of us saying we 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 cannot confuse the Palestinian negotiations with a terrorist act, we we have made it even worse. And whenever I mean, the, the, the interesting case is like whenever whenever I at least I go on, on, on public TV and I, I, I talk about that, that very difference, then I have somebody saying, uh, what about the, the Palestinians and everything's happening? And the, since 1947, I'm like, OK, guys, just take it tactically. Yeah. There are things that are written. There are things that need legal um, posture, courts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are processes that really will examine who's right, who's wrong in those things that have happened. On that very element, however, it overturns everything that has happened in the past. It it really overturns. And the reason being, the way that it happened, the methodology that it happened, the clarity of, of, of media, the propaganda that they played with, like they really wanted to scare people off. Okay, so what's what's exactly the message that you want to put to the world that we should be afraid? We're not afraid. Nobody's afraid. And you know what? Even in the European world, we got to take a red line and say, you know what? It's done. Red line. You don't like it. You go away. You you don't have the right because these things are going to pass also in Europe. These lone wolves and this these eruptions. I mean, you you've seen it already. I mean, and already the discussion has been converted into whether. Palestine should have its own state or should be freed or whatever whatever the discussion is. This is not the point of concern whether Palestine should have an independent state or not. The point is that it's a total terror act. Mm-hmm. It's a total terror act. And it, has, it has nothing to do with the negotiation between the two parties. If you want to go to the negotiation of the two parties, that's exactly what Kobe said about Saudi Arabia. Yeah, you know, Marius, I think that uh, uh, we will have to invent a new term, a new world, for these atrocities because it is much, much beyond terrorism. It is much beyond terrorism. And we don't have the right term, the right word in the dictionary to describe uh, these horrible atrocities. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that um, uh, going back to to George's question, I think that the Saudis understand pretty well that if Israel will not come with the upper hand, they are going to be the next, next in turn. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the next because they if, attempted. 
They att- the, the Iranians attempted multiple times. Yes, of course, to because, do that. because the Iranian will be so encouraged from the success. And they will say, if we succeeded to fail Israel, so it will be a piece of cake to to do it with uh, with uh, with the Saudis. Okay, our time, our, our time, our time is in a community that wants to disrupt everything. Yeah, our time is coming to an end, and I know that Mario has somewhere to be uh, in a couple of minutes. I just want to end it very quickly and just get a f- just a couple of minutes of your perspective on this because there was a call out uh, made by a leader of the Hamas. Uh, he called out for global jihad um, the other day. I saw that on, on Twitter, and we've seen troubling images coming from all over the world rallies uh in support of uh of hamas and uh the, the these attacks that happened in israel there's been some here in canada in montreal where i'm at in toronto and in vancouver in the u.s uh in europe we saw them in turkey as well um how serious is this warning and how do countries uh prepare locally for potential domestic uh issues that may Uh, come up. Let me put things in a very cut and clear manner. This is the time that we cannot uh, allow ourselves to be too sophisticated, too tolerate, uh, to talk uh, in the way of from the one on the one hand and on the other hand. This is the time that we have to be very clear, to be able to distinguish between right and wrong between black and white and between um, uh, between uh, 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 enemy and a friend okay now if the the western world uh, if the western civilization wants to keep its uh, i would say survival for uh, for the long for the long future they have to understand that uh, all of these voices that come from 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 uh, the the western societies that support hamas these atrocities uh, or this approach should be um, should be eliminated i mean they 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 must have no legitimacy and there is no place even to discuss or even to try to understand them i think that this is a huge danger for the western civilization okay all of those who support hamas all of those who uh, wants to understand what were actually the real reasons that brought Hamas to do such a brutal, brutal things, I think that this is not the time. And if we seek life, we have to alienate them. We have to isolate them. We have to keep them out, not to be part of our societies. Otherwise, we are committing suicide. I, I think, Go ahead, Mark. I, I just want to add one one thing. I think that we are we have not understood exactly what happens. It's not clear. We we think we're in a movie, and we're watching the events taking place in another part of the world where we think things are not going to happen to us. I think this is the way that we are thinking right now. Uh, and again, this is very specifically targeted to Hamas. If At any moment in time, from the beginning of Hamas until now, they had an opportunity for political reasoning, even taking over from the Fatah air, uh, competition, especially in the elections, they already lost. They're, they're gone. They're historically, practically, they're gone. They will remain as a group which made the, the wrong turning point. 
The second thing is that we need to understand exactly what crime is. And they will not, they cannot make us feel insecure in our own states. Our states have already taken uh, measures and are already upscaling up their, their security. Um, even where I am right now, they're doing it the same thing. But it, it is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the necessity to understand and comprehend that, you know, they don't have the right to take a human life. And even in the way that they've taken it, they're not fighting war. It's one thing to fight a a soldier to a soldier. And it's another thing to, to go in the morning and, and kill innocent people and all those pictures that have happened. I mean, it, it troubled me. It troubled me a lot that they were driving in the middle of the street, just literally driving with civilian clothing, taking a gun and start shooting. And it it also gave me hope. You know what gave me hope? That old lady whom they abducted and they went all around. She's 85. So just let's go 85 years back. Just think where she came from. Like the, the results of and the creation of, of 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 Israel after World War II. She was looking at them in in a, in a in, with a face sort of like you have not you don't have an idea what has what I've been through in my whole life. You think you're gonna threaten me right now? This is the feeling that I got, and I really like. I, we really need to remember this. These people, which are young of young age and extreme, and extreme. They've never had the opportunity to really get educated and see and envision even their 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 the opportunity of another lifetime. They were hired, they were grown up to be trained assassins. And these people have to be isolated if we need to have uh, a solution to the Palestinian issue ever. I want to thank you both for taking the time. I know that you're both very busy. Um, this is a discussion, obviously, that we can carry on for much longer, and perhaps maybe we can have follow-up episodes on this issue, depending on how it develops over there. Um, Kobe, Mario, thank you so very much for taking the time and forming the viewers and the listeners about the, the recent events unfolding in that area. I want to thank everyone for tuning in, and we will see you all in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you, George. Thank you. Thank you, Gobi. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Strategy International Podcast. Produced by PodMTL for Strategy International. Feel free to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere fine podcasts can be found. This podcast is made for Strategy International Limited Cyprus. All copyrights reserved. This podcast, audio or audiovisual, may not be reproduced, duplicated, copied, sold, resold, visited, or otherwise exploited for any commercial, scientific, educational purpose without the written consent of Strategy International Limited and its legal representative.